was a, that documentary was a direct result of an interview I did for the book, where I, I looked at Barry and as from afar, you know, a typical car crash football club, owners of, you know, let's be kind, of dubious merit. Let's put it like that. Yeah, I think the courts would allow that. Yeah. Yeah, and the football club disappeared because of that, because of that lack of stewardship. And I went up to Bury to try and work out what happens when your football club goes when it through you know through no fault of your own you haven't got a football club to support anymore. And I met a guy called James Bentley who spoke so so cogently and emotionally uh, about what his football club meant to him, his family, his town the common identity, the friendships, the deaths, everything associated with his football club. I then That's what that gave me the idea for um, the documentary, which actually we did pretty quick, well, very quickly. Really you know, quickly, the, yeah. Yeah, we did, it, you know, we did it in sort of three or four months. Over the uh, winter. Sort of late, 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 it was, yeah, it was late, late autumn, really, um, and, and you know, it came out um, in Feb. So, and we pretty much did that film in the pandemic, um, the only thing that we couldn't do, which we were going to do, and we had set up, we were going to go to Germany because obviously Germany is the, you know, the exemplar of, of that sort of fan mm-hmm. influence model, the fifty-one percent. Although that's coming under pressure now from American uh, private equity investment, I think there will be a change there. Sadly, mm. sooner probably than later, we were going to go to Union Berlin, and we we, we sorted everything out with them. Brilliant, brilliant club. Now, you know, that's the club where the fans literally literally sold their blood to help the club out. And we've been told that during the pandemic, about a group of about 140, 150 of them used to go into a forest quite close to the ground. They used to get the flares out. And they used to hang around in the, in the forest and the, uh, you know under this sort of red or green light or whatever it would be, have a fair amount of drink, but also watch the games uh, or follow the games on their phones. And I thought, well, we were, so we were going to go over and film with them in the forest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we, we couldn't get there because if basically if we if we went in, we would probably have to, we would have had to quarantine for about, I think, a month or something. Well, we, we would have to, I think, I think we, if we'd gone in, we'd have had to spay, spend about 10 days over in there. a German hotel. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, then, and then done a one-day film and then come back and done the same thing over here. So basically it was a month out of the out of the diary you know that experience of looking at fan run clubs different models or you know also sort of you know leads me to my conclusion in the book uh, about where where football should be headed and what are the full what are the positive forces that will enable it to flourish and you've described it as a manifesto but are you not in danger of entering johnny nick territory he's written a couple of books with manifesti John, I think John Nicholson's brilliant. Okay, I would never ever wish to put myself up against him in that in that sense because he'd, he'd say be the same of you. Better at it than me. Well, that particular area. no, but I, I I suppose in terms of you know we we look for you know when we're doing the sort of you know the promotion of books and things like that, you look for lines, don't you? You look for yeah, well, yeah. not slogans per se, but you know I, I'm a sucker for a bit of alliteration. So part memoir, part manifesto actually works for me, I suppose, but. Um, I suppose I've always had very strong views about football and what it represents and what it can and should be. And I suppose this book's no different in that sense. I suppose the difference is I'm trying to look at 
right, where are we going with all this? And, and you know, my view very much is that I've always taken note uh, of personal experience. So a good mate of mine, for instance, okay, he's West Ham fan. He was saying to me the other day, he's just moved house to a, a, a village just sort of you know, north Buckinghamshire. He said to actually take his son to the Olympic Stadium, uh, and, I, and I will continue to call it the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, it, it, that's of, what it is, yeah. yeah. Just out of spite of, um, you, know, the, um, you know, the West Ham ownership. Um, Who are not, by the way, the West Ham ownership, Mike, they're not being praised. No one is singing their name at the moment. I'm not surprised. Would you? I wouldn't. Uh, no, it, it's um, obviously all David Moyes, magic of Moyes. But sorry, go ahead. But yeah, to get from Beaconsfield or yeah. wherever to the Olympic yeah, Stadium. So, so anyway, is there, so, money. You know, my friend, yeah, so my friend said, well, okay, yeah, if I take my son to the um, Olympic Stadium, okay, we'll get a train down there, 30 quid to go, or whatever it would be, or drive down, maybe have a drink before the game. So you obviously don't drive. So, okay, you're on the train. Uh, maybe a bite to eat. He said, yeah, I don't get any change from 250 quid. <gasps> So he said, I could go with some friends. There's a, lo- there's a lo- local non-league club. I think it's about, f- I think it's f- uh, six quid to get in. There's a bar. You can watch the game. A couple of pints to be made. Change ends at half-time if you want. It's an experience which throws you back to your own childhood. It's that, in- you know, that innocence and that sort of, you know, you can touch and feel a club like that, can't you? You know, that's why... I suppose I fell in love with the game. One of the reasons why, you know, as a ball boy, you get so close to the action, you can see the fear in people's eyes and you can you can hear the contact that's made, you know, with, with stud on chin. You know, it's 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 real. And I suppose when you go into those local non-league levels, OK, the football's not nowhere near the standards, but you can get some good games and get some bad games like you can do in the Premier League. And, OK, so you have a, a really good afternoon now with your mates and instead of spending 250 quid you spend 20 quid or 25 quid or whatever and in these times does that work perhaps i think also there are smaller lower league clubs who i would prefer to go and watch than a premier league club like you know i, 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 I use them in the book uh, accrington stanley i love as, as a model i love the owner um, andy holt i find him um Good fun to be with, more than, you know, uh, he invited me out uh, for the first game of the season, of, the, of this season. He does little things like, um, if there are any visiting directors, in this case it was Barry Fry, hmm. um, which was which was an event. There's a local fish and chip shop around the corner. Now, obviously, because there's no fans, that's been absolutely decimated. So, basically, Andy buys, I don't know, 30, 50, whatever it oh, is. Great and chips with mushy peas and gives him around gives it around the club on that on that day so if there's any directors they get they get some I just I had no allegiance they, they, Accrington beat Posh that day Peterborough that day 2-0 and the second goal went in and I actually I responded like a like a fan I actually stood up and put my hands in the air you know and it was just like I was I just missed that I yeah. missed it badly and I suppose um, yeah people will laugh at me for that but Actually, I've not. I, I, obviously, because you're in a press box, you never do that, do you? you know, it's, I, I hate it when people do that. It just does my head in. But if you can sort of instinctively rediscover the love that you had or the wonder that you had, 
uh, that sort of shared experience of watching a football match. I think, you know, you're a very lucky guy. And, and I suppose the one thing that I hope comes through from the book is that I do realise I've been a very, very lucky guy. Mm-hmm. You say also that the documentary, Hours, which must have been promoted on BT Sport in between Champions League and UEFA Europa League halves. So I don't know how you felt about that, where you had your mug and James Bentley's mug coming in and then back to the studio where Gary is talking through Real Madrid. Um, but it did renew your faith in football. Do you mean it renewed your faith in non-elite football? Because this um, Football Writers podcast, it's all about elite football. So yeah. then you, you log off the podcast and go, right, what's going on with Accrington? What's Andy said now? How's the Wham Stadium looking now? Yeah, I, I don't think they, they're mutually exclusive. You know, I, I enjoy Champions League football because, you know, we're talking now, you know, in the week where we saw, in the, in the fortnight where we've seen two brilliant ties between Bayern and PSG. I thought they were fantastic football matches. I like the games. I don't like what the competition is in danger of representing because yeah. the competition has been, uh, you know, essentially hijacked by um, a cadre of basically vulture capitalists more yep. than anything else. Um, Who do you um, want to win, Abu Dhabi or Qatar? <laughs> well, that's it. I did put a, I did put a tweet out to that effect last night. Actually, funny enough, um, that you know someone some sort of. Uh, um, you know, pea-brained plutocrat will say, well, OK, why don't we have, uh, if it's Manchester City against PSG, why don't we have the first leg in Abu Dhabi and the second in uh, in Doha? Well, um, yeah, I, yes. I don't think uh, I don't think that works. You know, because if you look at it, I think the actual product, hate the word, but I enjoy the, I enjoy the Champions League. I enjoy, specifically, I, I really enjoy the knockout stages of the Champions League. Which is which was what makes this whole this sort of so-called Swiss model of was it 180 games basically to start to, to end up where you started the game, mm-hmm. just it's just meaningless sterile nonsense. It's it's candy floss. It's it's I don't know who's asked for that. I've never I've yet to meet a single fan of the bigger clubs who's in in agreement with it. Pretty I'd be pretty sure that. Even the players themselves, you're playing the same people every week. Blimey, that's got to do your head in 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 the end. Surely we shouldn't allow, and we being people who follow the game, who invest something of themselves in the game emotionally more than anything else, we shouldn't allow modern football to be distorted by these people. We shouldn't allow the Glazers to uh, work out what we want and how we consume our football. We shouldn't allow... You know the Fenway Group at Liverpool to continue to, I think, run roughshod over the sacred principles of Shankly. We shouldn't allow Stan Kroenke to continue to. Was he worth now six billion? Yep. So he's now a semi-detached owner at Arsenal, and Arsenal growing away from the club they used to be. Why should we allow that? Why should we uh, almost give house room to state-supported clubs? I'm not saying Manchester City are, uh, are a bad club. I think they're brilliantly run, but I just have I, I have a I have an issue with with football being used for geopolitical ends. To be honest, you know we're in a day to day, Johnny, where we, we you know, we're hearing that um, you know this uh, you know the Saudi authorities lobbied the Prime Minister about Newcastle, you know the Newcastle proposed takeover. Yeah. You know, <sighs> 
that that might be someone's idea of football, but it's not mine. Exactly. Precisely. We're also talking, I should have mentioned, uh, we started off the interview at about seven minutes past three on the 15th of April. Um, and this is the week where the Hillsborough, is it the Families Group, Families for Justice, yeah. that has now disbanded um, yeah. because they, they want to move on and, yes, never forget Hillsborough, which arguably kick-started the boom. Uh, this documentary, Hours, it follows State of Play. Uh, and it's available on the BT Sport app. Features the likes of Jake Humphrey, Joe Cole, Steve McManaman, James Bentley, aforementioned. Uh, and also Ivor Heller at Wimbledon, who is a friend of your fellow pitch author, Eric Samuelson, whom I've spoken okay. to. Uh, he's got a book out about wh- what he found joyous in AFC Wimbledon. Uh, will you get to go to Plough Lane? Very so. Oh, you must well, have been. We, You've been for the documentary. I've been there. Yeah, we filmed there. Yeah, yeah it was great. We, we actually were filming there on the first ever uh, training session that the boys, oh, the boys great. were having. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a bit bizarre. It was still a building site at the time. I love. I love Ivor. He's great. We did what we call a walk and talk around the pitch, and uh, you know he's quite a petite bloke. Uh, I'm being kind to him, there. <laughs> uh, and I'm. I'm a bit of a lump. I'm a big lad, and. It, it looked ridiculous because, <laughs> you know, when, when you're filming in a pandemic, you know, BT yeah, yeah. are very, very, they were very, very conscious about social distancing. So when we did an interview, there we had to maintain that two-metre distance. Now, you try walking around a football pitch with someone and maintaining that two-metre distance is really difficult because essentially <laughs> it's almost this magnetic process going on that you end up sort of like converging on one another. To me, to you. So, well, we had to actually stop the interview a couple of times because, you know, and they have they are completely correct to do so, you know, a responsible broadcaster like BT could not allow footage of me being less than two metres away from my interviewee to go out because it's against you know it's against regulations and so <laughs> so we had to we had to do this uh, walk and talk uh, in instalments um, but um, no I, I, it, it's great and it's just a little vignettes around clubs like that you know there was a, a story which I've used in the book about the guy who a uh, massive AFC fan and he looked after the station at, at Wimbledon's tube station for 52 years, retired, and unfortunately passed away just before, you know, the homecoming. Never saw the homecoming. His cortege paused outside. He, you know, had a, there was an AFC scarf over the uh, casket. I suppose it probably you know, the, the, the sort of subhead to the book is, is you know, um, uh, football. I'll, I'll get this right. No, I've got it here. Football, I can right. help you. Football, football, life, love and loss. In, in many senses, that little vignette sums up those four words, doesn't it? It involves football, someone's life, there is a love, and ultimately there was a loss. Um, so, again, you know, we talked about uh, the humanity of the great figures, the Ali's of this world, Mandela and people like that. But, you know, the, the guy whose life was spent on Platform One at the... Um, at Wimbledon Station and he, and he committed himself to his football club and was remembered by his football club because when he retired um, they gave him a, a signed shirt which was his sort of prized possession and um, again that's a very small example of how football can 
you know, be, you know, be an intrinsic part of someone's life. I, 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 that's what I love about that. That those type of little stories um, give me a little warm glow. Well, I've just got a warm glow because I've seen the alliteration in the title of the book. Whose game is it anyway? Football, life, love, and loss. You've, you've, I mean, you've had assonant book titles, State of Play, uh, The Nowhere Men. That's quite assonant. But yes, your alliterative title. One thing I meant to ask about an hour ago, um, Only Wind and Water, is that going to be reprinted? Or is the um, update that you've put in the new book kind of a distillation of that year on the seas? To answer your first question first, uh, no, because the fate of that book uh, was sealed when the publisher went bust after about about three months after it was produced Hooray. so basically i think there is still a couple out there on on um yeah yeah but they're about 250 quid so and trust me it's not worth 250 quid no the the, the chapter itself is 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 looking at um well, there are two elements actually in, in the book uh to, to do with um sailing the the around the world race i just wanted to articulate how we felt when a fellow competitor took his own life in that process. But also, I wanted to give a flavour of what it's like. I suppose what I want to try and do in, in the book, um, Whose Game Is It?, is to actually try and give people an idea of, of sport in, in different contexts. So, okay, you're in deep in the Southern Ocean. What's that like? Um, I write about that. I'm in the Amazon jungle, in the Amazon basin. What's that like? How does football play a role in that? Uh, where you've got people being killed, you know, a couple of ounces or a couple of grams of gold in gold fields. And you see virgin rainforest burn to the ground. How do you feel when you see a, a beggar paralysed by polio on, on all fours trying to get through life by offering you a game of head tennis? outside a football stadium in Bamako in Mali. You know, all these sort of different vignettes of sport all around the world, I've tried to sort of fuse together in a, in a way that people, uh, one can share my good fortune and uh, experience in these things, but basically saying, look, this you know, sport is a is a universal thing. And, um, you know, sport in an unreal society like apartheid South Africa, like Eastern Europe, I, you know, I realise that I, I can give people a bit of an insight, even though a lot of the world that I write about no longer exists. The values that I learned in those times, they endure. But, you know, you look around, you know, thankfully, South Africa is a multiracial nation, not without its problems, of course. Perhaps there's a resurgence of, 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 of communism. Do you communist regimes use sport for their own ends? Certainly, or certainly regimes per se doesn't mean to you know, don't have, don't need to have a certain ideology. But equally, is there hope? And, and, and again, you know, my hope for football's future: clubs with tribal identity, very strong sort of blue collar tribal identity. I'm thinking sort of Cardiff, Pompey, Millwall, no. Bristol Rovers, those sort of clubs. I think they I think they will survive the pandemic. I do think the alternative future is in these Phoenix clubs, the, the fan-run clubs, because there's a purity about their purpose that I think probably it should anyway be timeless. Well, let's, let's hope so. Um, to finish, just a quick uh, recap of some of your greatest hits. How's Kenny 
Is he all right? Is he enjoying uh, gardening leave or being between jobs? He, he, he is. Uh, last time I, uh, last time I, I see, I thought we'd take a quite a while off. Now I, I think he wants to get back in. You know, they can't let it go. Managers can't let it go. He'll be looking around. Absolutely. They all look around, don't they? Yes. Um, well, one of your subjects and friends, Joe, uh, very interesting move, um, Bristol Rovers, because this is a two foot, uh, city with two football clubs. He seems Bristol Rovers seem to be healthy financially. Can he build something there? Uh, yeah, he's obviously he's got to he's got to keep them from going down first. Uh, you know, to be honest, even if they do go down from League One, I don't know whether that will be an absolute. Um, uh, you know, be a, a long-term problem for him. I was a bit surprised when he when he pitched up there quite quickly after Fleetwood. Uh, he did say when when he left Fleetwood, he, he basically said that look, I've, I've learned quite, I've learned a lot, and it's now the time for me to put those lessons into operation. So he, again, a bit like Kenny, he wanted to get back very quickly. The thing that I think sparked him with Bristol Rovers was certainly he's very enthusiastic about the fan base. He sees. You know the gas heads as uh, you know an intrinsic asset to the football club, and you know I think they also appeal to a bit of the scally in him as well. Um, he's got a he's got a big job on there. You know my son's a scout and he's seen them a couple of times, and um, yeah they'll do quite well probably to stay up. It's, it's quite I think it's I think there's probably six teams at the bottom of League One at the moment. Um, Fighting uh, amongst themselves, I think. I think six from memory. Yeah, and um, Wimbledon, Wimbledon are another one, and if they go down, uh, much like Bristol Rovers, they should be well positioned to be one of the top teams in that division. Well, you know, they've scored eight goals in the last two games. Um, they won. They won five one at, at Accrington the other day, uh, and and they beat uh, Ipswich, I think, three nil. So they're having a go to stay up. You know, you've got Northampton down there, Swindon. It'll be interesting to see how Joe gets on. Yeah, I, I think he's. I think that what he's trying to do from. I'm not really spoken to him about it, but he does seem, from the outside anyway, to be trying to galvanise the club as a whole, i.e., get the fans involved and try and feed off that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, the fans can't um, get back into the, into the ground yet, can they? But hopefully, that day is going to come pretty soon. Yeah, well, I will be. I'll be chatting to some of the gas heads. I'm just waiting because I think one of them has an exam period this month. So I'm going to wait till the season is finished and then uh, we'll find out whether Bristol Rovers are in the third tier or the fourth tier. Uh, And to finish, because this will go out on the 23rd of April, what will you be doing on Saturday 24th of April? I think it's going to be 3pm, but you're not going to be at the Vic. Will you be watching I Follow? Millwall, Uh, Wofford Millwall? I don't know. I probably will. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I I might still try and black a ticket. <laughs> ah, yes, because I, I imagine I you know the people. And can I congratulate well, I... Millwall because I'd completely forgotten that they once again, as with last season, uh, are in the top of the middle. You're not going to go up. You're not going to go down. Only six home wins all season, but nine unbeaten in January and February, including this nil-nil at home to uh-huh. Watford. Uh, last time we spoke, Neil Harris was in charge and you were quite yeah. pessimistic. Uh, Gary Rowett, right manager for the team. Who's the player of the season? Probably Jeb Wallace, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're looking to, to renew. It's been an up and down season in many ways. Uh, and again, I think Will Wallace, again, 
one of those clubs where, you know, self-evidently they do miss the fans. They've been very good in terms of their season ticket um, arrangements. The owner there, uh, John Burrelson, deserves a huge amount of credit. You know, I think this season's cost him something like £10 million. It is £10 million. I saw um, the accounts. It, it yeah. really is... It's huge, yeah. and, and and you know, so and, and again, there's a club that um, I thought you know there was an ex- existential problem with with you know, the you know, the whole thing about booing the knee and everything else, where you know I I got involved a little bit behind the scenes of that one in terms of you know phoning a couple of people uh, and just to say look you've got to you've, you've got to do something here. Um, I actually, to be honest, probably overreacted. And I said they you know. As a, as a gesture or anything else, they should have closed the den for the um, uh, that following Tuesday's game against QPR. They didn't, and it all went okay because I, I just felt if there was another incident of that game, it would have had huge ramifications for the football club. And again, you know, we talked earlier on about good people in in sometimes um, difficult circumstances. You know, I think there's a lot of people at the club were really worried at that particular time. But now, um, I think it's been a you know, been a good season. I think Gary Rower, I think he's understanding the football club now because it is I mean, a, a distinctive club. Um, you know, the Watford game, if I'm looking at it now, I think Watford are probably going to get the second promotion place. Another weird and wonderful season there in terms of managers being turned around. Um, you know, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit I'd never heard of the manager when... No, when, no, no. Uh, I may have heard of him as a player. That may be in the back of my mind, but Shishko came in with his big cheesy grin and his inability to coach in the Premier League because he doesn't have the certification. But he can coach in the first division. And I don't know if it's that Troy Deeney is missing or that he's got them playing in a unit or if Ben Foster not being in goal is helpful. But yeah, Watford, straight back up. It is, it's wonderful for the town, um, although we don't know when we'll be allowed back in. It was news to me that Jazzy B's son, Marlon Romeo, was at Millwall. Yeah. Have you met him? Yeah, he came. He came um, out of the, uh, you know, the taking the knee episode brilliantly. Mm-hmm. He spoke fantastically. I wasn't at the game, but he, he gave an interview to the South London Press, uh, which I, you know, quoted with with, um, you know, with due um, acknowledgement in the book, and he spoke really vividly about what he again what he felt like as a human being when all this was going on and you know he is a black player playing for a club that was undergoing those sort of that sort of scrutiny um very very mature they had actually a, a zoom call with all the all the players and all representatives from EFL FA QPR who were, who were there as well, Kiki and Out were, were on the call. And apparently, you know, people who were on the call tell me that he was fantastic, you know, looking at it from a moral standpoint, not just a footballer standpoint. Uh, and again, came out of it very, very well. Yeah, Jazzy B. Last time I saw Jazzy B, was this is a weird one, he was having his portrait painted on Portrait Artists of the Year. Yes. <laughs> and he... he <laughs> He was, he, yeah, he looks a pretty cool dude. I've never met him, but I'd like to meet him. He's, yeah. He sounds a really interesting guy. Oh, uh, yeah. And you, you forget that that music, I think Soul to Soul should be much more celebrated, but that is a conversation for, well, hopefully my music library podcast later in the year. But also, final question. Uh, I did see the document that went through Millwall's accounts for last uh, 
tax year or last year. How many of the 41 contracted players for Millwall came through the academy? I would think it would be somewhere like 15. Yeah, not bad. 18. So yeah, you, yeah. so you, it's like a greenhouse in SE16. Yeah. You grow your own. Yeah, definitely. Well, we talk about South London as a whole. Oh yeah, yeah. That is that is a real um, breeding ground for for footballers. A lot of a lot of you know the modern generation of cage footballers are coming out of that environment. When you look at it, really, Crystal Palace have missed a bit of a bit of a trick. Really, um, they should probably get more players there. Obviously, they've got you know the Wambasakas have come through and. You know, they, they they have got a conveyor belt, but um, yeah, Millwall is it does produce you know good young players, and it gives them a chance. And also, yeah, you know, I always felt that if you can play at Millwall, you can play anywhere. Yeah, it you is. You really can. It tests you not just as a footballer, but as a as a as a an individual. You can't cheat and play at that football club. No, absolutely not. And Gary Rao is finding that. Uh, Brentford, Swansea, Barnsley, Bournemouth, Reading. Who do you not want to play next season? It's a good point. Brentford, I think. Yeah. Well, if Brentford do, I'm, Richard Foster is coming in next week and he reminded me that they've failed, is it nine times in the playoffs? So will it be, I know Matt Benham's a lucky guy, can it be tenth time lucky? We will find out next month. But yeah, good luck blagging a ticket for uh, Vicarage <laughs> Road. If you are in town, I will stand two metres apart and get you to sign my copy of Whose Game Is It Anyway? Football Life, Love and Lost, published by Pitch. It's out now because it came out on Monday. Uh, you can get it wherever you get books. And this will be Pitch's biggest seller of all time, if if all of your 50,000 Twitter fans buy it. Let's hope so. Let's put it like that. Let's hope so. <laughs> hope so They're we've got, Mike. So I, I, I hope they get something out of the deal. Wicked. Um, you're doing lots of other interviews for lots of other people. I know you've got these football times lined up. Have you got Talk Sport and Five Live and da-da-da? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in the I'm on full on sort of tap dance mode at the moment. Yep, keep dancing, <laughs> keep <laughs> dancing. Yes, I can.